Thanks for joining us for today's message. Our mission here at Plum Creek is to help you experience intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. Our hope is that what you hear today will impact and challenge you to love God and the people around you in a whole new way. We'd encourage you to check us out online at PlumCreekOnline.com to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we might have for you or for your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, the two easiest ways are through our website, plumcreekonline.com give or via text. Just text any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. Thanks again for joining us today. Beautiful day today. Hopefully you got to enjoy it a little bit. We are beginning a new series, and I'm excited about this series, and I'm nervous about this series. And uh, you're going to understand that a little bit more as we uh, head into uh, our message today. The idea behind this series, we're calling it The Untouchables, is that there are certain conversations that seem within the context of the local church to be oftentimes considered off-limits. Topics that can make us squirm, and for the sake of this series, we have decided to call them untouchables. But that's never been the way that we roll around here, and so that's not going to be the way we roll today. And so we're going to begin to address some topics this week and for the next couple of weeks. Uh, And fortunately for us, God loves us enough to address these topics in the Word of God. And so we are going to open our Bibles today and we're going uh, to do some good work. Now these topics are tough. Some of these topics are controversial. They're emotional. I can tell you that the last two weeks have been incredibly emotional for me as I have studied and prepared for uh, this message. And you know what happens when people get emotional about a subject, right? Oftentimes we can get mad. And uh, when we get mad, we do silly stuff. But we're not going to do that here. That's not the way we're going to handle this. Um, This has been a weird couple of weeks, and I've been thinking about all of this a lot. I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of research. I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, do quite a bit of study over the last uh, several weeks. And I told Beth that when I was beginning the preparation for this message, that this could be the tough one of the toughest messages that I've ever had to prepare for. So I thought that it would be a great time to do a little research for the week when we're going to be talking about smoking pot. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My gosh, thank you. Thank you. Stays were laughing. As a matter of fact, I think it's so cool. Uh, We didn't pray for another church this week because as as the calendar unfolds, the rest of the churches in Castle Rock are actually praying for us this week. Is that amazing or what? That is awesome. And boy, I can use it, right? We can use it today. But on Friday, uh, my son Luke, who is a freshman at, at school in college in Illinois, uh, he called and said, hey, Dad, I, uh, I made the travel team. So he's worked his way up. So he's got his first game tonight. And I was so wanting to call Gary and say, you got my notes, bro. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> but obviously, we couldn't do that. I very much appreciated as well over the last couple of weeks, the emails, the texts, the phone calls, the encouraging conversations of folks that have just said, hey, I know where we're headed. I'm praying for you. So thank you so much. I love this church and I love you guys. And I'm just a normal person like you are. I'm just the one standing up here. And if you want to take my place, I'd be more than welcome to hand you my notes today. Um, But the truth is that this wouldn't be any fun without you. And I actually consider it a real privilege to stand here today 
and talk about this. So there's going to be lots of opportunities during the, <clears throat> during the uh, series to disagree on some things, and I get that. But let's decide together before we even head into this series that, that even if we disagree, we're going to do that with grace, we're going to do that with humility, and most importantly, we're going to do that with love. And if we can agree on doing it this way, then I'm ready to roll, and I'm excited to share with you what I have to share with you today, and I believe that we can do this. So let's get started. You ready? I want to share with you a passage of scripture for Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, I'm going to read it in the Message Bible, which you know is a paraphrased Bible, but it says this so eloquently, welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Continues, and it says this, remember they have their own history to deal with. That's so important. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who's been around, and you'll have to, I'm not going to explain it all tonight because I don't have time, but you'll see what, what he's saying here uh, in just a second. For instance, when a person has been around for a while, might well be convict, uh, convict, convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another with a different background. Might assume that he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell into criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. You'll see how this fits here in just a second. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections, listen carefully, if there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. That's beautiful to me. God is the one that makes changes, and if there's corrections that need to be made, God can handle that. That's his job. And so today we approach this subject with grace, we approach this subject with humility, and we accept this or approach this topic with love. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my best to unpack what is a hot topic in our culture today, uh, and I'm going to share with you the best I can, but you need to hear my heart. I'm not going to share with you opinions. I'm going to share with you what scriptures say, focusing on what the Bible says. And this is a vitally important distinction, one that I have seen there be uh, tons of air on in our culture today, even in the context of the local church. Um, I'm not going to share with you thoughts that are based on what our culture is saying. Uh, the place that we are going to begin in each of the topics that we're going to discuss is based on personal and a corporate passion of Plum Creeks to honor what God has said in his word. And with an emphasis on striving each and every one of us to live the way that he has taught us to do. I also know that there are going to be some here that will disagree with what I have to say and what we see that God says. Uh, that's fair enough. And I just ask you to have an open heart and to hear from the Lord today. Let him speak to you. And if we can agree to do this together, let's just keep our eyes on Jesus. So, <clears throat> Doug's heart's a little raw. <clears throat> because if there's one gift... that God has given me, 
it's a heart for people. I pray nearly daily that God would help me to see what he sees in people. And uh, when you pray that prayer, you have to be careful because there are lots of stories with lots of hurt and lots of brokenness. And the beautiful thing is that I serve a God that takes hurt and brokenness and promises in the only way that he can to redeem those things. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I know that this topic for some comes with deep emotion, and uh, we're going to talk about sexuality and specifically homosexuality this week. That said, I think it would be highly appropriate if we did like the rest of the churches are doing in this town, and let's just pray for us today. Can we do that? Father, we need you today. I know that this is a polarizing subject, a subject that has uh, brought lots of emotion and there are lots of thoughts and Lord, even confusion. And so today as we open the word of God, I just ask that you would take my words and you would guard them. Uh, You help me to say the right things today. And Lord, that you will help this message to be one that touches our hearts and helps us to understand your unbelievable love for us, your care for us, and your plan for us. In your name we pray, amen. Before we head too deep into the topic of homosexuality, I believe there's a few things that we need to talk about, and unfortunately, I am, uh, I believe, I'm very convicted that in the church world today, one of the reasons why this subject has become what it is today is because we've taken the subject of homosexuality, and we've kind of removed it from a list of a lot of sins, and we've placed it on a shelf by itself. A lot of times, that's because we don't understand it. And sometimes it's because it's come with lots of different emotions and feelings and things that are oftentimes part of what we think about when we deal with this subject. I don't think that's the way we should approach this subject, and that's not the way we are going to approach it. So I want to show you a piece of playground equipment that illustrates where we need to go today. This is a teeter-totter. How many have ever played on a teeter-totter? And when you do uh, the teeter-totter, you don't want to be on the other side of the fat guy, do you? Because you don't get a teeter and totter much. You just go up in the air. And uh, this is really a great visual picture for what life needs to look like to us. Because how many of you know there's lots of, of tensions that we have to manage in our life? And as we approach this topic and many of the others that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, there's something that we need to manage. And I, I think that we can manage this tension. It will never be perfect, but we need to manage the tension of grace and truth. Grace and truth. You're going to hear that a lot. Grace and truth. Jesus is the only one that had this perfect, and none of us will ever uh, reach perfection in this area, but we must make an effort. It says in John chapter 1, verse 17, that Jesus... Uh, communicating to us says this, for the law was given through Moses. So the law was given through Moses, how we are to behave. But look at the difference. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. We need to manage grace and truth. The church hasn't done well with this. Grace in many respects is hope coming alive. Without grace, there can be no hope, but truth is equally as important. And as we begin today, we need to know that God is after us. He loves us. 
And he loves us more than we will ever be able to understand. And we need to always remember that he, what he wants more than anything else is to be in a true living and loving relationship with us. And that changes everything. It changes everything as we approach a subject like this. So as we begin, the church, the big church, hasn't done very well with this. And so let me use the words of Jesus to lay some groundwork here. In Matthew chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, it says this, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And I want to stop for a second and tell you that this is one of the most misused passages of Scripture in the Bible especially for the younger generation that will quote this often and say, look, this is the deal. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. And you need to understand that one of the challenges we have when we approach Scripture is to not interpret Scripture by what we think it means, but look at it in context and understand that this complete passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7 is actually talking about how to judge well. That's what it's talking about. We are called to judge but this whole passage is one that helps us to understand how to judge with the heart of our God. Now watch how it continues. It says this, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. Strong word. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And as we walk through this, you're going to see why I feel like this is such an important passage of Scripture for us to look at as we approach this subject. Because here's how we typically deal with the areas in our lives that we struggle with. And by the way, do we all have areas that we struggle with? Raise your hand if you have an area. Just do that. Everybody look around, and someone that doesn't have their hand up is a prideful mother bear, okay? They have an issue too. We love to create talking points around the complexity of our own sins, our own challenges, and our own struggles, don't we? We like to look at our pasts, and we like to look at our presents, and we like to think about all kinds of scenarios that help us to justify and explain away even sometimes the areas that we struggle with, while at the same time looking at other people's situations and challenges confident that they seem so black and white on the other side of the table, issues that should be dealt with immediately. And even, even it gets to the point sometimes where, where we point our finger at somebody else and we say, how is it possible that you could justify this in your life? Pointing a finger. And here's what I want you to remember today. They justify the same way you do. That should convict you. Because we're all really good at justifying sin in our lives. Really good. We've actually become so proficient, I think, I think that we need to take a look, a hard look at ourselves today. Because oftentimes what we do is we say, God, justice for that person's mess, but grace and mercy for mine, right? Grace and truth. How do we manage this well? Sexual issues in our culture are very real, and sexual dysfunction is very real. Sexual temptation is very real, and consequences of sexual mistakes and the shrapnel of that are all around us. So where do we begin? Where do we begin? I was told today, I think it's 59. There are 59 options on Facebook 
when you go to make your choice about what your gender is? 59 options. We live in a culture that has so confused how we were created. So where do we begin? we got to begin with what God says. And today we're going to work hard to understand God's perspective. Why would we do this? He created us and He knows how our sexuality is meant to be uh, experienced and how it's supposed to work. So we need to go back to the beginning. And that's what I want to do today. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2.18. In the middle of the creation story, God has created heavens and earth and light and moon and and the water, and the land, and the animals, and he's created Adam. And, and then the Lord the God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. That's powerful. God knew what he was doing, and he had a plan. He had a plan. And it continues in verse 21. It says this, So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. The story continues, And at last the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is, a, this is a very important piece for us to unpack because then there's this explanation that takes place in verse 24 that we have to see today that you've heard before. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. In the beginning, God wonderfully and undeniably and permanently created male and female, these two distinct complementary genders together, listen carefully, reflect the image of the creator that is so important for you to hear. Before the fall, you see, there was no sin, including, including sexual immorality of any kind. And after the fall, and as a result of the fall, there are now all kinds of sins, and it seems as though we continue to invent them all the time. And some of you might be saying today, wait a minute, Doug, this, this feels pretty Old Testament right now. What about Jesus? Did Jesus say anything about this? As a matter of fact, one day Jesus was being questioned about divorce, actually, and he chooses to answer, validating and bringing into the New Testament era the same understanding. He quotes where God created Adam and Eve, male and female, and he says this in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus responds in verse 4, Haven't you read the Scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And then he continues. And he says, And he said, This explains why a man, and he's quoting that verse that we saw before, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Powerful. Now, when you read Scripture, when I read Scripture, there is no third option. The truth is that God created us. And God created us with a very, very distinct plan and with a very distinct purpose. Later in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing, and this is if you, if I did your wedding, this is the passage of Scripture that I would talk to you about. And this one is so critically important as it, as it relates to understanding the, some of the things that have happened in our culture today. The Apostle Paul correlates the marriage of a man and woman, listen carefully, a woman, to reflect the union and the love 
of Christ to the church. This is the picture. You see, there's a reason behind God creating the way he did. And the relationship that God created for us to have is actually an image of the, the, the relationship between our incredible Heavenly Father and his love for the church. And so Paul says this, and I need you to see the picture in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, again, he's quoting this verse we looked at before. And scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. Look what he says here, though. This is vital for us to understand as Christ followers. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And this gets really complicated, and I love to, to, to teach this passage of Scripture at a wedding because in many translations, it talks about the importance of a woman submitting to a man, which again is like fingernails in our culture. But you know, it's so great because you remember what Jesus say, said? What did, who did Jesus say was the greatest? Who's the greatest? A servant, right? A servant. As a matter of fact, he was lifting women to a position, and a beautiful position, that would help illustrate so wonderfully this beautiful, beautiful picture of God's love for his church. Listen carefully. Let me show you this picture. We have to start with God. See, if we don't start here together, then we're going to make a big mistake. But I choose, whoever defines the terms is really the big guy. Would you agree? If we're going to have a conversation and you let me define the terms, I'm the big guy. Unless we can come to agreement, right? And so I choose to say, okay, God, you created, and you created purposefully, and so I trust you. I trust you with your definition and your term. That's how I choose to respond to this, to this issue that we're talking about. So God created, right? And when God created, he created in his image, this is powerful, male and female. So together, we are image bearers of God. That's what he wanted to be done. We're the only piece in creation that has this kind of, this kind of uh, image-bearing responsibility. The animals don't have that. Trees don't have that. Fish don't have that. We have that. Men and women have that. So then you can see in the context of this verse that we just read, God's beautiful plan is this. In the context of God's created order is where sex and marriage is supposed to be. And you see this beautiful picture that God intended for us to have is the definition of what God's love for the church is. That's powerful. So we have a responsibility as both single and married people to know that the way that we do our singleness and the way that we do our marriedness is actually to be an illustration to the culture around us of God's incredible love for his church. That's what we're supposed to do. But now look what happens here. If we take God out of the picture and allow someone else to bring definition to this term, then all of a sudden the picture is dis distorted and now we can no longer have the clear picture that God wants for us to have of his love for the church. Does that make sense? It starts with God for me. You have to decide where it starts for you. But also, let me show you, that if you take sex outside of the picture that God wanted for it to have to be, and you take sex outside of marriage, marriage between a male and a female, then you also have distorted the image that God wanted, the symbol that God wanted to see, the culture around us to see of his love for the church. Does that make sense? Right? This is powerful. So we have a clear picture again that God wanted for us to have. 
And this is where I find my definition, and I think you should too if you want to stand on the word of God, God's definition of what it means to be married. You see, I find it impossible from a biblical perspective to see how a marriage between two persons of the same sex to adequately depict Christ in the church. So my main thought for this weekend is simply this, choose God's plan for my sexuality. Choose God's plan for my sexuality. You see, the enemy of our soul has always wanted to destroy what God created. He wants to corrupt everything that is good, and he is also the author of confusion. And if you, you don't have to look very far into our culture today to see how we have become so confused on this topic, and he's done a great job with this. Our culture is so very confused about sexuality. And so what you need to hear me say today, based on some of these things that I have shared with you and many others, Plum Creek is not in favor of the recent redefinition of the term marriage. I'm not. I'm not personally in favor of the recent redefinition of the term of marriage. But you need to hear me say this. I totally get how we got there. I get it. I understand how we got there. Because when we don't believe in the Bible, see, here's the deal. Whoever defines the term is the one that's really in charge, right? If I give you the opportunity to define terms, you're in charge. But if I say, because of the way that I have chosen to live my life, God is the ultimate authority in my life, and I take the word of God for what it says, then he's the the big dog. He's in charge, and he gets to define the terms. And so we can see very clearly in Scripture that, that God did define what marriage is supposed to be, but when we don't believe in the Bible, when we don't believe what Jesus said, it's possible to come up with new definitions. It's very clear and easy to see how that could happen for those in our culture that don't first choose to believe in in Jesus, to believe in biblical authority, the authority of Scripture, for those that don't choose to live to a biblical standard, for those that don't live like Jesus said to live, I totally get how our culture can end up setting the tone for what you choose to believe. I get that. However, when I look at this issue, and I want you to listen to this carefully, when I look at this issue, I wonder what our culture thinks they now understand about what the Bible says, that the previous 2,000 years of biblical scholars, pastors, theologians like Augustus, Aquinas, Calvin, Luther, Wesley, C.S. Lewis, and the list could go on, somehow didn't know or didn't understand. There has historically been a near universal disapproval of same-sex activity, and when I say universal, what I'm talking about there is, and what I'm referring to, is the Protestant tradition, the Catholic tradition, and the Orthodox tradition. But here is something that I know for sure. Everyone look at me. This is probably one of the most powerful things that I have to say today. The church must stop expecting outsiders to act like insiders when insiders are, not, are acting like outsiders. Let me read that again. It gives me goosebumps. The church must stop expecting outsiders to act like insiders when insiders are acting like outsiders. You see, the reality is this. Far too often, the body of Christ doesn't live up to the standards of the Bible. The very people that are claiming to believe what the Bible says to be true have wandered off course and don't live the way we're challenged to live. And it's always going to be easier to point a finger of judgmentalism than it is to take a serious look at our own hearts And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to be convicted of areas where we have fallen short of God's perfect standard. This is why this is so important. Because culturally speaking, what we've done is we've taken homosexuality 
and we've placed it on a shelf, a sin kind of to be kind of looked at by itself. And I want you to hear me say today, I believe that that is not the way God would want us to do that. Because God created our sexuality and he wants every single one of us to experience the joy and the fulfillment of living within his parameters of relationship in our sexuality so that we could experience this in the fullness that he created us to experience it. And also so that we could put on display to the world around us what it looks like to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father, the church, and our God. This is critically important. So the challenge for us today is this. Every single one of us have been created sexually. And every single one of us in this room have different challenges as it relates to our sexuality. And I think it's very unfair to take homosexuality and put it on a shelf by itself when we don't allow the Lord to speak to us and challenge us for those that aren't tempted or challenged with a same-sex attraction. As a matter of fact, I feel like that's very hypocritical. We also live in a day and age where I'm almost grateful that this happened and the timing that it did because it's important for us to see this. Many of you have been paying attention to this on the news, but you heard and for sure have seen what happened when there was the release of the information off of this website called Ashley Madison. You know what I'm talking about. A website specifically designed and created for there to be a matchmaking of sorts to take place for those that were interested in having an affair. Do you know there's only two communities in the United States that weren't touched by this, and they're both remote communities in Alaska. And they're saying that there was somewhere between 30 and 40 million people that got onto this website strategically and purposefully to test the water, so to speak, to see if there would be opportunities for there to be an affair to be had. <coughs> Does that fire you up? That's not okay. Church, listen to me. That's nothing to jack around with. And when we talk about what it means to live right and pure before our God, we have to let God speak to us as well. There were estimates that I have been told that there were going to have to be between somewhere around 400 pastors that were going to have to stand before their congregations, resign from their positions, and ask for forgiveness because their names were on the database as well. Do you see we have a problem in our culture today? And the problem is that somehow we've allowed sexuality, sexual experience, and God forgive me for a second, no, honestly, orgasm to become some kind of an idol that we chase after more than we chase after our God. That's a problem, friends. So every single one of us in this auditorium today should be in a place of brokenness before our God to say, Lord, examine my heart. Show me where I have gotten off course. Show me where I am most vulnerable. And let me stop for a second and share with you that I believe that this is so true. And I know because I've had conversations with people, this has even affected my family. My, my cousin died from AIDS, a homosexual. Is here's the problem. Oftentimes we think, you know, how could it be that God would create us with a desire to do something like that? We feel, I feel that too. I understand that question. Here's the deal. When I look at the stuff that Doug struggles with, 
When you talk about lust, when you talk about pride, when you talk about selfishness, I feel the same way as you do. I feel like, God, why did you create me with this draw and this passion inside of me? I don't like it. Take it away. But you see, God didn't create Doug that way. God didn't create any of us that way. But the second that Adam and Eve opened the door, it unleashed an onslaught of the enemy that says to you and says to me, where are you most vulnerable? And now I'm coming after you. You see, God didn't do that. We all have areas of weakness and areas of challenge and areas where we are most prone to slip up and fall short of God's plan. Every single one of us. And see, this again is the reason why it's not okay for us to take homosexuality and put it on a shelf by itself. Because inside of each of us, we have a draw to do things that are dishonorable to our God that fall short of his perfect standard. And the enemy of your soul knows exactly where he's going to attack. He does that for me, and he does that for you. And so we need to passionately pursue our God, and we need to understand, let me say this again, the church must stop expecting outsiders to act like insiders when insiders are acting like outsiders. There needs to be a call in each of us that have made a decision to be Christ followers, to allow God to do a serious heart check on us, to ask the Lord to speak to us, and to make a commitment to really start following him and to choose God's plan for our sexuality. So I need to read you a statement. This is Plum Creek's statement on marriage. God wonderfully and undeniably and permanently creates each person as male or female. These two distinct and complementary genders together reflect the image of God. Marriage is the original and foundational institution of human society, established by God as one flesh, covenantal union between one created male and one created female that is lifelong, exclusive, procreative in nature, and is to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Now listen, I understand that there's not a consensus in this room when it comes to same-sex attraction, or when it, there's not a consensus in this room when it comes to gay marriage. However, here's my challenge. When we make a decision to follow Jesus, we can't continue to filter our spirituality by our culture. It's got to be the other way around. So last week, for those of you that were here, it was an incredibly powerful service for me personally. Last week, we, we shared together in an Anglican communion service, and there was something about that service that really touched me, and I want to tell you about it real quick. <clears throat> you see, typically when we... When we uh, take communion, the ushers will come and they'll hand the communion elements at the end of an aisle and hand it down. And you grab your bread and your gluten-free bread and your, and your grape juice and uh, you hold that in your hand and then we take communion together. <clears throat> I think we're missing something. Actually, I know we're missing something. Because last week was the first time that I ever had an opportunity to stand right here at a table and hold the bread in my hand. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't 
see this coming. But our ushers came. They dismissed you by section to come to certain spots. And uh, for me, your pastor, to break the bread, to look you in the eyes, to say, here his body is for you, broken. And for many of you that came to my row, because the usher told you to, I wish it would have been everybody. Because for many of you, I know your stories. I know some of the details of your lives. And so when I handed the bread to those people that I know and looked them in the eyes, it was so powerful to be able to say this is awesome representation of a God that has changed your life. Here's a symbol of his body that was given and broken for you. It was powerful. I wish I could hand every single person the bread. I wish I could look you square in the eyes and for you and I to have that moment together. It's very powerful. Our little aisle passing is missing something. I have had many opportunities to talk with people in the nearly 25 years that I've been doing this ministry thing. Opportunities to share with students and singles, men and women and couples, biblical truth, biblical truth. Warnings about how to keep our eyes on Jesus. Warnings about how to not make a mess of our lives and challenges on how to live to honor Him. And I promise you this, I'm not a perfect guy. I struggle just like you do. I have to deal with all this stuff just like you do. But here's what you can count on for sure. I take this seriously. And I love people. I really do want what's best for you. You may not agree with me, but I promise you, my heart and my motives are right. Scripture is full of warnings for each of us, and please hear me, God isn't trying to ruin your life. He never wanted you and I to be miserable. He loves you and He wants what's best for you. When we talk about the topic of homosexuality, there are seven passages in, in Scripture that explicitly talk about homosexuality and arguably hundreds of other passages that talk about it implicitly. There are four in the Old Testament and three in the New Testament. And in these seven explicit verses concerning homosexuality, there is not one positive statement of affirmation. It would be a series to unpack this, which I will never do, all seven of them. <clears throat> but I'd like to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is writing to a church. Just like us, they had lots of things going on in their culture. And he wrote this to these people he loved. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I love verse 11. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. A couple of things that you need to notice. First of all, homosexuality is not put on a shelf by itself when the Apostle Paul talks about it, is it? As a matter of fact, we all struggle. And if we're going to be honest with that list, there's probably a few on there that we need to double-check ourselves on. Would you agree? This is the same thing that I have faithfully shared and challenged people I love for almost 25 years. It's not just about homosexuality. You see, you cannot openly pursue a sinful lifestyle and at the same time be fully pursuing Jesus the way He wants us to. Now let me say this carefully. That includes pursuing pornography, pursuing a lustful life, Pursuing relationships, that includes, listen to me carefully, singles, friends with benefits, or living together outside of marriage, married couples, pursuing swinging relationships or adulterous affairs, or pursuing same-sex relationships. And you know what? We could add to the list those that were in this passage, stealing, greed, drunkenness, slander, and so on. Look at me. Choose God's plan. Choose God's plan. Guard yourself. Protect yourself. Go back to where we started. You have a heavenly Father that is passionately in love with you. He wants to be in an authentic, real, living, and thriving relationship with you. And He cares about you enough that He would provide for us these warnings in Scripture that would help us to allow our hearts to be checked, to help us to know where the boundaries are so that we don't cross the boundaries, not for the boundaries' sake, but for my sake, for your sake. Because He loves and cares for us that much. You see, God takes us where we're at, but never loves us enough, or but loves us enough to not leave us there. Remember what Paul said, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So let me say to you that are here today, for those that are struggling with same-sex attraction or involved in a homosexual relationship, for those of you that perhaps were on Ashley Madison's website or even today involved in premarital or extramarital relationships, addicted to pornography, as long as I am pastoring this church, you're a person who deserves to be pastored, who deserves to be challenged, who deserves to be ministered to, and most importantly, deserves to be loved. So Plum Creek, we will fight as hard as we can to be a church full of truth. 
and we will work hard to manage the tension while equally being a church full of grace. And do you know why? Because we all need His grace. And there's not a person here today, me included, that doesn't need to have a moment tonight in the presence of a loving, almighty God And ask him, Lord, what can I do to have my eyes on you differently? What can I do to be living in a way that brings you honor? What can I do in my marriage to help it be a perfect example? of our incredible God's love for the church. There's not a person here today that doesn't need to hear from God. There's not a person here today that's not, that somehow is above allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to your life, to bring conviction to you so that you would stop justifying sin. Me too. That we'd work on our log and let Jesus do the work of changing others' lives too. That's who He is. And so as we find ourselves at the end of this service, we're back where we started, aren't we? Because if it really is all about God, then in this moment, it has to be all about God for you right now. Where you say to Him, and maybe you haven't done this in a while, Lord, speak to my heart. Because there's kinks in all of our armor. And the enemy's coming after you because he doesn't want you to experience the fullness that God created you to experience. So for every one of us that are here today, the team is going to come and sing this song. Moment of reflection. I want it dead silent in here except for them singing. Will you bow your heads because I need to read this passage of Scripture. Because we will not be people that put homosexuality on a shelf and deal with it on its own. But today, each and every one of us will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and respond to this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 6. Listen now before the band comes. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Holy Spirit, move through this place.
convict us, Father, of our own personal judgmentalism while at the same time explaining away things that we know fall short of your perfect standard for the way that we would live. Help us to not isolate sins. Lord, help us to be passionate about loving you and living for you. Father, I'm tired. I'm tired of the enemy checking with us. The battle is real. And we're all in the middle of the battle. Father, we desperately need our eyes on you. We need your help because we've all fallen short. And Father, at the same time, we realize we we can't win these battles on our own. We need you. We need you at work in us. And we need each other. Father, the church should be the safest place in the world for someone to say, I'm struggling. Even if they're struggling with a same-sex attraction. Forgive us, Father. Help us to have your heart. Somehow, God, in the midst of all of that tension, all of that heartache, all of the relationship challenges, will you help us, God, to somehow learn to manage the tension between grace and truth? We need you, Father. Now in this moment, speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Help us to honor you, Father, with our lives. In this moment, Father, we need you. And uh, Lord, it's entirely possible that there could be someone that's here today that, um, Lord, has never made a decision to to do what we've talked about today, and that's um, choose to live our life for you. And in this moment, Lord, uh, it's an appropriate time for us as we've been challenged to take a look at our own hearts, to know that we can't live this way without you. Uh, Lord, the first place to start is to decide to invite you to be the Lord of our life. And when we do that, that changes our perspective. But Lord, it also empowers us with your spirit to do some incredible things. And we need you at work in us. And so today, God, I pray that you will help those that are here in this moment to open their hearts fully to you. And if that's you, would you just simply pray this prayer and you know this is why you're here today. Just pray this prayer. God, I know I need you. I know that I have fallen short of your perfect standard and I ask you to come and be the Lord of my life. 
I ask you to forgive me. I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I pray now in this moment that you will help me to to learn what it means to keep my eyes on you. To learn what it means to keep my ear attuned to you. And then to have the courage to obey. And Father, I pray you would move through this place. I know you've spoken to hearts. As we leave today, Lord, I pray you will bring a new challenge that God, today we will understand more than ever to have a tenacious focus on living pure before you as it relates to our sexuality. Every single one of us, God. Keep our hearts in check. Ladies, will you keep your eyes closed and heads bowed? Guys, look at me for a second. I feel prompted to challenge you. Do not mess around with this. It will take you down and it will take you out. Lean on him to be your strength. Listen to his voice and have courage to obey. Live pure. If you untether from your relationship with God, this culture will take you in a very, very bad place. Don't let it happen. And let's be strong together. We need each other. God help us. God help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, congratulations. We are so excited for you and we'd love to equip you with some resources, some next steps, and a complimentary gift. Just text the word FAITH to 40650. And if today you just need to talk to someone or would like to have someone pray with you, you can call our church office at 303-663-1714 and one of our pastors would be happy to spend some time with you. From everyone here at Plum Creek, have a great day.